0: There's one final lingering mystery about the Settler case, and it's a theory called the green light.
1: Somebody's like, we well, got the green light. I'm like, okay, so I'm like, green light.
0: Going back through the police tapes, there are a number of times when people bring up this mysterious term.
1: This guy gave us a green light.
0: Green light, you hear that term? There's a green light. I've heard that term before.
1: Zach walked over and said, hey, we just got the green light from the owner. I'm like, what do you mean the green light? He's like, the owner, the property owner gave us permission.
0: You might remember that the owner of the property where Jeff had his wheat farm was Lou Baglier. And according to Giggles, I wouldn't be surprised personally if Lou helped organize what happened. At some point earlier in the summer, Zach told me that he gave Kane the green light, which was to kill Jeff. Lou was the guy who called the cops and led them up the mountain to find the body. How long were you up here when you saw Jeff?
1: Maybe 20, 30 minutes, okay? I really broke down and cried, okay? After you saw Jeff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the day before, we had celebrated my seventieth birthday, I know. and now he's gone.
0: <laughs> Could this guy Lou be connected to Jeff's murder?
1: Yeah, so
0: Baglieri has history in the county. Supposedly, there's some ties to Hell's Angels. And, you know, there were conspiracy theories that he had given the green light for Jeff to be taken out. When I was on the phone with Detective Krosky, wrapping up my other questions about the case, I decided to run this whole green light theory by him. I think Lou is smart enough to know that he doesn't want drama brought to his his property. He doesn't want the cops snooping around on his property and you have a green light to go kill somebody without any plans to, you know, discard the body or hide any evidence or, frankly, get rid of witnesses, like, that doesn't seem very strategic to me and probably not a real thing. I hear what Krosky is saying, but I couldn't help but think about what Yasmin told me back in Oakland.
1: Jeff was warned before he got a place with
0: Lou that he was shady. People that rent his property, like shit always happens, like
1: they get robbed or some shit happens.
0: So I asked Krosky about this. I had this theory that like maybe he lets people in to grow on his hill and then after they've done all the work of growing all the wheat, he turns around and robs them and something bad happens to the growers that lose property. That's a great theory, Sam. I really like that. I wish I wish we could figure out how to see if that's true. That is really good detective skills. I'm Sam Anderson, and this is the Emerald Triangle. I mean, he explained to me that there like hundreds of people that live in this city that govern themselves, he seemed happy, everything seemed to be working out.
1: A man was found murdered in a rural property off Highway 101. The police say their main suspect is 24-year-old Zachary Wooster. I definitely heard some horror stories about Jeff keeping people up for like three days, feeding them a bunch of acid, building a fence or a road or something like that.
0: Have you ever heard the term hill crazy? Oh yeah,
1: California paranoia. Jeff was being like super paranoid and thought that they were trying to take over his hill, like trying to get this need together. And all of a sudden Jeff just freaks out. He kicked fucking everybody off his hill. I don't know the people who killed him. Okay. I wish I could kill him myself. <laughs> You wish what? I wish I could kill those people myself.
0: Chapter 10, The End of the Road. Over the course of my investigation, I've listened through hours and hours of police interviews. But when it came to Lou Baglier, there was one conversation that always stuck out to me. During earlier in the season, uh, Lou and Jeff were getting in an argument. I think it was about money. This is Zach talking to Detective Krosky about a conversation between Lou and Michael Kane. Kane had taken Lou around the uh, property and Lou had given Kane a uh, green light to... Um, Kill Jeff, and then say that the property would be his to uh, rent out for the next season. As in, Kane could run an operation up there. Or yes, could rent the property out. That uh, he could run an operation up there. As crazy as it sounds that Lou gave some sort of green light to Michael Kane or Zach to rob and/or kill Jeff, I felt like my investigation would be incomplete if I didn't follow up on it. Kane and Zach are not talking to me, so the only other person who would know is
1: Lou. I'm pretty fucked right now. Yeah, don't matter. I'm the most scandalous motherfucker we ever met, bitch.
0: <laughs> it was not easy to track this guy down, and I was prepared to confront him about the green light and his role in Jeff's murder. But before I could ask any questions, he just goes off.
1: Cash, you know, I do have $1.4 million stashed somewhere. I don't know where it's at yet, but I'll
0: find First, out. he tells me he has more than a million dollars stashed somewhere. It
1: has never worked for me. In 20-something yeah. years, I've never made a dime off of the marijuana.
0: Then, he tells me he's never made any money off of growing marijuana. I don't know if I believe you on that one, Lou. It's hard to believe it myself.
1: OK. No, my 100 Are you
0: As if on cue, Lou starts conducting what sounds like a drug deal. While he's still on the phone with me.
1: How much? How much? How much weight do you want? You don't got what I'm looking for, okay? What did he This guy, does. I tell you what, that's one of the best weight I've ever had. Had teeth in. I better call you back, man, because I got all these. Fucking Sounds like you got
0: some mayhem going on over there, Lou. You can call me back anytime. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> so this is the guy that Detective Krosky called smart and strategic. Unfortunately for me, this was the last time I ever heard from Lou. I never got a chance to ask him about Michael Caine and the green light. I was at a dead end. A year went by, but then in the fall of 2020, Lou's property was in the news again. Earlier that year, a new group of people had come to this land they toiled in the hot sun, painstakingly growing their crop. Just like Jeff and his workers, they cut down each plant by hand and labored through the night to get them trimmed and stored before the rains came. Then, one day, a group of men showed up to the property. They fired a warning shot, rounded up everyone on the hill, and held them at gunpoint, demanding money. They steal 20 pounds of wheat and flee. But then, two days later, they're back. They demand even more money, even more weed. But this time, the sheriff's department is watching. A van attempts to flee down the lonely dirt road back to Laytonville, but it's cut off by police. The officers pull out their guns and surround the vehicle. They open the door. Inside the van is Lou Baglier. Lou Bagliere, his son Tyler, and four other men from Oakland were charged with armed robbery and assault on the very same property where Jeff Settler was killed. Lou's son was put on probation for two years. The other men were locked up in state prison for three to five years. But Lou, he never went to prison. Because of his failing health, Lou was released on bail. And when his court date came, he didn't show. Today, he's still out there, hiding.
1: I'm the most scandalous motherfucker we ever met, bitch.
0: Just another outlaw on the run.
1: This is Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. I'm Steve Taylor, your host to a horror anthology podcast, where we ask you to depart from your safe perception of reality to descend with us into the frightening depths and dark corners of twisted imaginations Knows no bounds. Make sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.
0: It's the summer of 2022, and after almost five years of investigating this murder, I think I have a pretty good idea of how Zach was involved. So I decided to pay a visit to my hometown, Ringwood, New Jersey. Hey. Let's hey, go, man. Because there were some people there I wanted to see. Been a long time. It's good to see you, by the way. Yeah, you too. It's yeah, Derek and Evan, time. Zach's friends, who I interviewed in episode two. How's everything going with you? Pretty good, man. I'm just finishing up this podcast. — It's crazy. — Yeah. — After everything I learned reporting this story, I wanted to share with them what I found. — Sure, but… — Yeah, so what happened was they were working on this guy's farm for, like, the whole summer. Zach shows up in May, right after he goes on the run. He shows up to this guy's farm— — I told them everything. The living conditions. — Really horrible conditions, like, like, bombed out, like, disgusting trailers. — The acid. — To keep them awake was he fed them a lot of LSD. The paranoia, the money. No one had enough food. No one had money. And finally, I tell them the role that Zach played in all of this. That he was the guy who put this plan together. He may not have been the one to murder Jeff. But at the end of the day, you know, he really did play a big role in this. And I don't think that's something that he has really been ready to own up to. How do you see that? I would give my last breath to Zach's defense and say if he knew a murder was involved, he would not fucking go. This is Evan. Like, what I heard from Zach's voice that when this was all going down over the phone before he turned himself in was the voice of regret, was the voice of holy shit, was the voice of what the fuck just happened. He was the only person that didn't run. He was the first person to turn himself in. Mm-hmm. And I think that speaks volumes for sure. Here's Derek. You know what? You were fucking part of it. Do I agree with what he did? No. But... I mean, like, I mean, you're a fucking felon on the run. Like, where else are you supposed to work? And mm-hmm. granted, he's in, like, this is a completely illegal operation. And, like, in the world of crime, <laughs> anything fucking goes, man. Mm-hmm. Ain't no rules. Ain't no rules. And I, I feel so complicated about how I'm portraying Jeff in this story. Jeff, he took advantage of people. Yep. He had the power. He had, the pay- he had the money, the, the land, the shelter. Where the fuck are these people supposed to go? They're fucking fugitives. When you treat people bad, people start to not give a fuck about you. When push comes to shove, you show no respect, you get no respect. Like I, I don't think I would have done it, but I could see the situation where it's like, fuck this guy. You're in the Wild West, man. So why did Zach do what he did? Could it be the lack of family support that drove him out there? The punitive drug laws that scared him into becoming a fugitive? The notoriously difficult working conditions on these weed farms? Or the fact that weed is still federally illegal, which created the conditions for crime in the Emerald Triangle? I thought all of these things could have played a role. But when I brought these ideas to Zach Wooster himself when we were messaging on Instagram, Here's what he said. It's all about personal choice. How great of an effect each one has, even at the smallest levels. What we do truly does matter and affects much more than just ourselves. My childhood wasn't the best. I always felt worthless. So I stopped actually caring. I tried to fill a void in my heart with drugs. And of course, that didn't help. I know what I did was wrong on so many levels. At the end of the day, what we did was horrible and should never have happened. I regret it every day. My heart hurts. This is something I will carry with me for the rest of my life. And that's how I see this prison experience, a healing process, a place where I can actually grow. It's a pretty shitty thing to say that, but that is the path that I'm on. After talking to my friends in Ringwood, I flew back to California, because that's where I live now. And I tried to put this story behind me, but I couldn't stop thinking about Weed World and about Jeff's farm, this land with the power to change people. I had never been there myself, so I decided to take one last trip to the mountains. For... Almost as long as I've been working on this story, I've been trying to get access to the land where Jeff was killed. The big fascination for me has always been the land itself because there were so many difficulties living at this property and all of those factors contributed to the conflict that led to Jeff's death. That's right. We're going to the scene of the crime, Jeff Settler's Hill. We definitely want to avoid like making anyone feel like we're trespassing. People. And I'm a little nervous. About- because Lou Baglier may still be out here. For this reason, I've brought some backup. Andreu, how are you doing? Doing well, how are you doing? Andreu is from Spain. I met him at a bonfire in Oakland, and we got to talking. Turns out, he had just come down from a mountain in Mendocino, where he was working as a trimmer. What well, If you could say something about weed trimming, what would your message be?
1: Don't do it. It's not the physical, it's the mental, because you're, like, locked in this room with the same people we counted the hours and then we trained for like seven weeks straight and it was like a 470 hours inside that room just doing the same thing over and over and over again right. you're just alone in your head and you're just are thinking and thinking and thinking and those thoughts like getting your way there's nothing that i could do to stop them
0: and the feeling of going hill crazy is not the only thing that andreu has in common with the workers on jeff's farm
1: so I was owed twenty-two thousand, and I've been paid around forty-five hundred out of the twenty-two thousand. Like that was another kind of hill crazy.
0: We slow down the car and turn off Highway 101 onto a dirt road that we think will lead us to Jeff's farm. All right, you put the mic down for a little bit. Yeah. I just don't want people to see it, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We cross a narrow bridge over a small creek and begin to wind up into the mountains. Road's getting tough. We're gonna switch to go. on the four-wheel drive and we're climbing up into the mountain. According to the map, right we still have about four miles to go before we reach the gate to Jeff's farm. Oh, but oh, then uh, oh fuck. This opens. Alright, well, we've got our first gate. It's locked. Fuck. <sighs> Now it's time to hike. And look at this hill on our right. It's just like this fucking gorgeous grassy hill. Like, it It looks looks like you're in the Shire or something. We're walking for quite a while, and we're in good spirits. Any amount of time spent in the backcountry of Mendocino is a privilege. I wanna roll down this hill. I wanna roll down this hill too. I just wanna lay a blanket on that hill and have a picnic. The road meanders through dense forest, occasionally breaking out into open fields. It's hot in the sun, and cool in the shade. Every so often, we pass an offshoot, marked by another locked gate. But according to our map, the property we're looking for is at the very end of the road, so we keep going. And then, after hours of walking, we find it. So we've come across another locked gate, and this may actually be the place where the guys got dropped off. This might be the place where Jesse Wells parked his car. From here, you you can't see the farm at all. You would have no idea what was going on. Like, you have no idea what lies beyond just the next bend. We pass through the gate, and we're in. looks pretty, aban- I mean, it feels pretty abandoned. I certainly hope it's abandoned. There's a bunch of broken down cars along the road, covered in rust. Some are painted with graffiti. <laughs> what does it say? Life's a bitch, so am I. And that's why you get high. Too weird to live, too rare to die. I spot an old camper and walk up to it. There's a name on the side, Southwind. This is the south wind. This is it. I heard the detectives talk about this in the police tapes. This is where Zach stayed. He stayed in this RV. It's still here. It looks like a a pile of shit. I open the door and step inside. It's moldy and wet, and the stench is unbearable. I closed my eyes and imagined what it would be like if this were my my home. I spent the whole day working on the hill, harvesting plants in the mud, rain soaking through my clothes, and now I return to this decrepit shelter. I try to go to sleep, but I can't because I'm hallucinating on LSD. It's just me and my thoughts here in this trailer. I can't imagine anyone living in a situation like this for any amount of time. It's really creepy being out here right now. I don't think anyone's here, but, like, if they were… Yeah, all of a sudden I started, like, not feeling safe for a second. It's a really eerie, desolate scene, but it almost feels like there is someone who could be here. We keep walking, and after a few more minutes, we enter a clearing about the size of a football field. We're at a whole open hilltop. There's just like bright sun, no trees, It's the perfect place for growing weed, pretty flat. But yeah, it's just like garden after garden after garden. This is the place where Jeff grew all of his weed. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life. But at the same time, it's like a junkyard on top of this pristine mountain. And there's so much trash. It would take a team of a dozen people a couple weeks to clear out this whole area. And for Jeff, I mean, he spent his last days of his life right here. Trying to make this garden work, trying to pull some sort of profit out of this soil right here, and he wasn't able to sell it for enough money to pay his workers. It's sad to think about the lost opportunities and the hopes and dreams that never came true. It's just a bunch of withered plants. Oh shit! My mom's calling me. Hello. Hi, Sam. Hey, I can't believe I have service out here. Where are you? I'm at Jeff Settler's pot farm. The scene of the murder right now.
1: Oh, my gosh. Are you guys safe in there?
0: I think we're safe. There's no one up here right now. We're looking at his collapsed greenhouses and, like, thinking about how devastating it was when the greenhouse collapsed and his marijuana plants got covered in rain and they all would have been ruined for the season.
1: Oh, my goodness. I think that uh, maybe this is the culmination that you needed for the end of this uh, whole crazy story.
0: This was the final send, as they say.
1: You better actually text me when you get out of here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I will. We've got it on the record.
1: All right, good luck. You be careful.
0: This is going to sound cheesy, but my mom calling me out here makes me think about how lucky I am. I've always had her love and support in my life, a lot of people who come out to the Emerald Triangle are running away from home, trying to escape their past without support, without options. That's something that I've never had to deal with. The next thing I want to find is the shack where Jeff was killed. We thought maybe we missed it, so we decided to go back down to the first clearing we found, the one with the Southwind RV, where Zach stayed. but. No shack. So it's a little disappointing not to find the place where Jeff spent his final days, but it's pretty incredible to be out here and to understand what life might have been like for some of these guys when they were working out here on the hill. It was not an easy life. When I first traveled out to California, I totally romanticized this place. It just sounded like such an adventure to be in these mountains, growing and trimming weed. And I'm sure that some people have had great experiences out here. The Emerald Triangle seemed to offer freedom. The overall impression that I'm getting from this place is that it is a sad place to be. It's like a place where, like, hopes and dreams go to die, in a way. (laughs) It's kind of cliche, but I don't know how else to put it. That freedom, turns out, is just an illusion. brought a big bag of weed. I guess we're going to smoke a bowl on top of this mountain and uh, think about what what it must have been like to be a pot farmer. (coughs) All the listeners out there are going to think I'm a lightweight. Sitting back, looking out over the lush green valley below, as the sun warms my face, I let the feelings of sadness float away with the breeze, replaced by gratitude for the inspiring beauty of this view. Despite all the challenges, I understand why people fall in love with this place. We got a long walk back. Let's go. Finally, we get up from our resting place and begin the four-mile hike out of the woods. But before I leave town, there's one more place I want to go. We're out here visiting Jeff Settler's grave. Jeff Settler's final resting place. It's in a tiny cemetery in Laytonville, nearly walking distance from my old home base at the Mendocino Magic campground. It's a redwood cross, clearly handmade, and it's got some psychedelic prints attached to it, and a wind chime, and there's a nice little music box, and some little charms, and quite a few little offerings that folks have brought out here. I gaze at the name carved on the Redwood Cross. Settler. It's a word that has been glorified in our history. Intrepid explorers who braved the Wild West and conquered this land in their quest for riches. But the real story of the West is violence. And today, that cycle continues. And you know, Jeff was one of a lot of people who have died trying to make a living out here. That Wild West lifestyle. Now here he is, laid to rest here in Laytonville. Laid to rest in a casket of wood, built by the hands of his father. In the end, no one deserves to die the way Jeff did. I leave a bottle of Mexican Coke and a pack of American Spirit blue cigarettes at his grave, Jeff's preferred offering. And for the last time, I get in the car and leave Laytonville behind. Crooked City, The Emerald Triangle, is a production of Truth Media in partnership with Novel and Sony Music Entertainment. The series is written and reported by me, Sam Anderson. Our senior producer is Joe Wheeler. Our producers are Alexa Burke, Lee Meyer, and Zach St. Louis. Story editing by Mark Smerling and Austin Mitchell. Our assistant producer is Sasha Baker, with additional research by Ivan Devon. Production assistants by Andrea Lamore and Jacob Heyman. Scott Curtis and Sheree Houston are our production managers. Fact checking by Dania Suleiman. Mixing and sound design by Sam Baer, Daniel Kempson, and John Scott. Our title track and additional tracks are composed and produced by Robert Quijano and Christopher Rose, with additional production by Nicholas Alexander. It was engineered by Peter Oviat and recorded at Moonflower Sounds Studio in Taos, New Mexico. Thanks to all the studio musicians at Moonflower Sounds. Additional music from Marmoset, Epidemic Sound, and Kenny Kusiak. Development by Willard Foxton. With special thanks to Indira Burney, Eleanor Biggs, Evie Robinson, Max O'Brien, Sean Glynn, and Matt O'Mara. Finally, there are so many people who helped support me on this journey, and this show would not be possible without them. Very special thanks to Jonathan Hirsch, Mickey Capper, Lily Mtiaz, Tom Balenco, Mackenzie O'Donnell, Mike Janella, Tom Papa, Zach Mack, Simone Lyon, Dylan Hess, Rex lade Campuzano, The Church of Fun, and of course, my family, for always encouraging me to chase my dreams. Continue the conversation with us online by tweeting at CrookedCityPod. If you've enjoyed The Emerald Triangle, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. And one more thing, if there's anything I've learned about Weed World, it's that people have a huge variety of experiences in the Emerald Triangle, and I'd love to hear yours. If you've ever grown or trimmed weed and have a story to tell, we want to hear it. Send us an email at emeraldtrianglepod at gmail.com. That's emeraldtrianglepod at gmail.com. And thanks for listening.